Well, good morning. It is great to have you here. We are going to continue our series titled Fish Face. And uh, we talked about that last Sunday morning. If you weren't here, I encourage you to, to go online, listen to that. Uh, stop by our, our, our media center down in the lobby. Get a copy of that uh, CD. Get a copy of that DVD. I, I promise you to be an encouragement to you. But I want to I build on that. I want to build on what we talked about last Sunday morning. Galatians 5 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But then it, it, it goes on and, and, it, and it tells us this. In Galatians 5.13, it says this. It says, you, brothers and sisters, you are called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For, for the entire law, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command that you love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then listen to this from, from verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. God, I pray this morning that your word would be a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. Help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Father, we commit this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we, we, in this series called Fish Face, we talked about tanked. This Sunday morning, I want to talk to you about Shark Week. And let me tell you what I know about sharks. And, and this is what I learned from watching Finding Nemo. <laughs> that sharks can be scary if they don't understand this principle. Fish are friends, not food. Fish are friends, not food. Fish are friends, not food. Say that with me. Fish our friends, not food. One more time. Fish, our friends, not food. So that person that has that fish symbol, that ichthys, that's what it's called, an ichthys, that person that has that fish symbol on the back of their car, or they're wearing a, a Christian t-shirt, they are friends, not food. I spent nine years as a youth pastor. And I, I watched this firsthand. And now, you know, having uh, spent uh, almost uh, two decades now in, in, um, in, in, in lead pastoral ministry, you know, what I've, you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that there are a lot of Christians that carry scars from their involvement with the church. And I, I, let me take this... A, uh, a step further. There are many here today that owe an apology to people around them, and, and even more so, we owe an apology to our children. Because we, we created an environment with unrealistic expectations and, and a hyper competitive environment where we make it impossible to bear one another's burdens. And, and, and Christianity becomes a performance sport rather than a genuine relationship connect. In fact, there, there are a number of you that are here today that you're, you're either here as a, a skeptic seeker or maybe you're here as a new convert and, and there's been a lot of apprehension 
towards connecting with the church and connecting with Christianity because you've seen the way that Christians treat others and the way that they treat one another. I grew up with the understanding that there were certain people that I just disliked. Was that, was that true for you? Maybe I'm the only person, okay? We, we, had this, we had this family in the neighborhood that we didn't like them. I'm not totally sure why, and I'm not going to mention their name because you might be related to them, and I, I certainly don't want you to come, come after me. I don't want to re- renew some rivalry, right? But as a small child, I knew those people that live five houses away, we did not like those people. Saw him walking down the street, not going to talk to him. Car, st- car stuck in a ditch, we're not going to help him, good for them. They deserve it, right? And, and this issue of, of dislike and disconnect, and there, there doesn't have to be a good reason for it, it just happens. Let me tell you something. In my family, it was pretty severe. My grandmother, at 66 years of age, caught one of the women in this family stealing vegetables out of her garden. And let me tell you something, at 66 years of age, grandma could still throw down. It was, it was not a pleasant sight. I was like, go grandma. And uh, that, that woman is not taking our rhubarb. I don't care who she is. There, you were just you were raised that there were there were certain people that you don't like and, and there was there was certain expectations. When I when I became a Christian, I, I had this naive thought, this naive misconception that when I came into and I came around these Christian people, these people that were Jesus followers, that it would be different. Can I, can I be just really honest with you? Man, when I stepped into the church, here's what I discovered. That this issue of, of envying and provoking one another, it seemed like in the church that we had taken it to a, a higher level of an art form. And, and I find that interesting. I find it peculiar because... Let me show you this from Galatians chapter 5. All right, Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ sets you free. Don't be yoked again to a bondage of slavery, right? We talked about that last Sunday, that, that God wants you to walk in freedom. But, but let me, I, I want to share with you a, a, a decent-sized portion of Scripture, starting in Galatians 5.13. And it says this. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't, don't use this freedom simply to please yourself. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Isn't that a powerful statement? If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I, I say, walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, 
you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, the, desire, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with, 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 with one another, so that you, uh, are, that you are not to do whatever you want. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And against such things there is no law or there, there is no, no limit. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Live by the Spirit. And, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Let me talk to you about let me talk to you very practically about the way Christianity is supposed to work. Because here's what I want. As as your pastor, and, 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 and not just as your pastor, as a, as a fellow Christ follower, and, and, and not just as a fellow Christ follower, as a, as a neighbor and as a friend. I want you to experience God in, in, in the way that he intends. And I want, for my own benefit and for the benefit of everyone here, I want, I want the church that I'm honored to be a part of, that I'm honored to serve. I, I, want, I want Calvary. I want it to accurately reflect God's heart and, and God's plan for the church. Jesus, Jesus makes a, a really a, a, a powerful statement in, in Mark chapter 7. And, and he's talking to the religious people of the day. And he looks at them and he says this. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Well, he didn't, he didn't stop there. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Okay? Now, the word hypocrite today, it carries a, 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 a substantially greater negative context than it did in Jesus' day. Um, and, and part of that is we just kind of know hypocrisy for what it is. But, but in, in, in Jesus' day, to call somebody a, a hypocrite was in essence to call them a pretender or an actor. Okay? So he said, you know what? Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you because y'all are a bunch of actors. You're, you're, you're presenting an image. You're, you're playing a game. Because here's what Isaiah said. These people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. 
Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to the traditions of men. It's an amazing statement. And, and I, I'm someone who I love I love coming into a, 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 a church environment. I love Sundays. I look forward to it. And I, I especially love the time of worship. There's something powerful and wonderful that happens in that worship expression. But worship without service is idolatry. Let me say that again. Worship without service is idolatry. And that's actually what Jesus is dealing with in Mark chapter 7. Right? He, he looks at the Pharisees who were, who were phenomenal in worship. Their worship for that day, their worship was amazing. But he said, worship without service is idolatry. Now, even this issue of service. Okay? We, we tend to misappropriate service as Doing stuff, getting things done. Okay? Because it's something that we can control. But here's what serving is. Serving is honoring the people around you. It's, it's engaging in activity that lifts them up. It's engaging in activity that is for their benefit. It's, it's seeing them in the greatest possible light. And when we tend to judge Christianity, even when we tend to judge a church, we tend to judge it based on the performance rather than the connection. So here's what a great church is. A great church is a church that has great music. A great church is a church that has great preaching. Doesn't have to, this have to be doctrine, doctrinally, theologically correct as long as it's at least entertaining. And uh, come on now, you know, you know that's truth. And, uh, and so th- that's how we write. And, uh, and a church has great programs for our family and, and great, great opportunities con- to connect. And, and that's, how we, that's how we judge a church. And, and understanding that, listen, understanding that at Calvary, here's what, we, here's what we, we do. We want to make sure that we have great worship. We want to, I do my best on the preaching, okay? Just give me a break. And uh, so I try, give us an effort. And, uh, and so we really work hard on our programs. And here's the reason why. Because we understand that that is a connection point. However, if that's the identity of who we are, then we are failing and, and we, are, we, are, we are what Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 7. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And, and here's, here's what I'm convinced of. And, and by the way, I, I'm not here to put anybody on blast. I'm, I'm, I'm right in the same camp. But here's what I'm convinced of. Having done this for a while now, I'm 50 years old. I'll turn, I'll turn 51 next month. I've been serving as a, as a pastor full-time since I was 23 years old. 
And, and, and you, know what I've, you know what I've discovered having done this now for almost a generation? I think as a church, I think we have to apologize to an entire generation of people. And, and I think that there are some of us that are here as parents and grandparents that we would be well served to say to our children, to say to our grandchildren, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I gave you a picture of the church and a picture of Christianity that is wholly inaccurate. I'm sorry that I created an environment where you couldn't be honest about your struggles. Where we didn't talk about our failings. Where we, we pushed those aside. I, I'm sorry that as you started down the path of of marriage as a young person and, and there was difficulty in your marriage that, that I didn't put you in an environment where you could openly and honestly talk to other, other, other young married people about that and, and, and be transparent in your imperfection. I'm sorry that at some point that you came to the conclusion that the church was irrelevant. I'm relieved. I'm relieved that you still have an understanding of God and you still have an appreciation of God and a belief in God. But I'm I'm brokenhearted that you don't have a connection with the church. And 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 I recognize that a, a major part of that is because what was presented to you as the church was a facade and, and, and not what God really intended. Now listen, I, I know this. I, I know that this is a I know this is a challenging statement and, and I, I I will tell you that it's not easy as a pastor to stand and, and to talk about something like this. But I'm not willing to lose another generation. And it will only happen, listen, especially with, with a group of young people, this, this, this current generation, they're, by the way, just on a side note, I hate, hate, hate the fact that I'm not part of that young generation anymore. I'm not sure when that happened, but it's depressing. It really is. Thank you. Um, I get I'm still young, and that's that's only nominally comforting. Anyway, um, they're not willing to blindly accept what you tell them, and I think that's a good thing. Because I think it's, it's, time for, it's time for us to not simply be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let me tell you what you are. You are a flawed person. You are a sinner. Okay? You, you are a sinner. Okay? I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Say that with me. I am a sinner. Now, some of you said you are a sinner. That, that's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> okay? I want you to acknowledge that fact that you are a sinner. Say, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. You are. Okay? And, and when you come into church, here's what you do. You come in with a certain amount of baggage. Sir, you, 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 had, you had a disagreement. Not just a disagreement. You had a fight with your wife this week. You know, you're not alone. Ma'am, you... You had an absolute blowout with one of your kids. Welcome to the club. Okay? You, you totally lost your cool at a restaurant because they did not bring you what you ordered. Yeah. It happens. Here's my one hope. My one hope is this, is that at the end that you still left the person a tip and not a gospel track. Right? You, you made a phone call you shouldn't make. You, you looked at an image that you shouldn't look at. You, you placed a bet that you knew was wrong. You engaged in an activity that you just... As hard as you try, you're, you're struggling to get away from. Welcome to the club. He who has begun a good work in you will continue that work until its day of completion. The church has to, has to, has to get away from this issue of image. We have to. Okay? Because what happens is this, is when we're image-focused, this becomes an, an environment where we envy one another as a result of our own conceit, right? And, and God's Word in Galatians 5, it warns against that. And we even provoke one another. If you've been around church for a while, and for those of you that are skeptics, listen, I'm, I'm airing our dirty laundry. You might as well know what you're getting involved in. Okay? A bunch of imperfect people. But if you've been in church at all, you've heard the whispers. Did you hear about? Oh. We need to pray for the Johnsons. We all knew that marriage wasn't going to last, but we can pray, right? Did you hear about Bruce's kid? Dating a non-Christian girl. 
You know, it doesn't surprise me. There was just something about Bruce that didn't seem right. We've heard it. For many of us, we've engaged in it. We'll we'll look at folks that attend a different flavor of church than us and we'll go, well, you know, what do you expect? They're not Pentecostal. They, They aren't as good of Christians as we are. Right? They... They don't understand healthy doctrine. They don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They can't speak in tongues like I do. I am so much further along in my Christianity than they are. And so, what do you expect? They're weak Christians. Right? Let us not become conceited, provoking, And envying each other. See, we're supposed to we're supposed to swim together. We're supposed to swim together, and, and swimming together it, it it requires a a considerate approach. First Peter three tells us this in First Peter three eight. So let me give you this whole portion of scripture. First Peter three eight through ten. It says this finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I love that. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And I want to I I marry what, what Peter says in 1 Peter with what Paul says here in, in, in Galatians chapter 5 and then going into, in, into Galatians chapter 6. A considerate approach. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Philippians says. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. 1 Peter 3.8 says. Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, the Word of God says. There's there's something wonderful and liberating that happens when we're able to openly talk about our weaknesses and our imperfections. And when we're in an environment where there is mutual understanding and mutual compassion and a minimal amount of conceit and envy. It makes it a whole lot easier to be honest about the things that we struggle with. And walk, walking through those. And, and, and listen, it's important that we're able to do this because if we say that we have no struggle according to the word of God if you say you have no struggle you are operating in self-deception 
Let me say that again. If you say you have no struggle according to Scripture, according to God's Word, according to this handbook that we have called the Bible, if you say you have no struggle, you are operating in self-deception. And listen, some of that struggle even carries from generation to generation to generation. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament... Abraham had a problem with truth-telling, right? Abraham had a problem with truth-telling. Abraham was a liar. Abraham's son, Isaac, you know what he had a problem with? Truth-telling. You know what Abraham's grandson had a problem with? His name meant deceiver, all right? So do you see how this challenges this issue, how it goes from generation to generation to generation? How about David? Let's talk about David and his wandering eye. An issue of marital infidelity and how it carried from generation to generation to generation. The Bible talks about generational sin. It talks about generational curse. Here's what it also talks about that I like better. It talks about generational blessing. I can't close a blind eye to the issue of generational sin. Let me tell you something that I've noticed in my family. My family has a strong pull towards highly addictive behavior. My father was an alcoholic. His father was an alcoholic. A good percentage of my siblings are alcoholics. Some of them are drug addicts. And so one of the things that I know is this. I know that I come from a, I come from a family that has this issue of easily being pulled in by addictive issues. And so here's, here's, what, I, here's what I don't do. I, I, don't, I don't allow myself to get close to those things. It doesn't mean I'm a good person. Please understand that. I'm just saying that I, I'm, not, I'm not above that. And, and because I'm not above that, because I know that I have a susceptibility to it, because I know that I have a draw to it, it's, it's part of the the challenge that I face. And I'm regularly tempted by it. I've not always been real good at responding to those temptations. When I was in high school, I was drunk more than I was sober. And it still has a, a voice, and at times it, it calls to me. Now that's probably something that you want to know about your pastor, Right? That these things have a, a voice and they, they call to me. But unless you know that, then you don't know how to pray for me. Now, now, now here's what I will tell you. That um, until about a few years ago, the last time that I'd had a, a, an alcoholic drink was when I was 15 years of age. And, and a few years ago, it was because the food server misunderstood. I, I didn't order the drink. And as soon as I took a drink of it, my whole head went hot. I said, this is not what I ordered. So, um, and I did not finish it, let the record show. 
yeah. Um, thank you for applauding for the fact that I wasn't willing to finish an alcoholic drink. But it doesn't change the fact that I live in a real world with real temptations and, and real pressures. And so do you. And if we can't talk about it, it makes it very difficult to, to walk this walk in harmony, right? It makes it very difficult for us to then apply Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. But in humility consider others better than yourself. God, help the church to break free from this issue of religious pride. causes us to look at people through conceit and envy. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Brothers and sisters, if someone is even caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch out or else you also may be tempted. And instead, what we're supposed to do Galatians 6, 2 says this, carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Peter echoes, be sympathetic and love as brothers. John 13 tells us a new command I give you. Jesus' statement, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another as I have loved you. And how does... Jesus loves us. He loves us. Well, this is what I remember from my Baptist days. Just as I am, without one plea, but that his blood was shed for me. I, I, my, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus, right? And the price he paid for my, 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 my righteousness. And so the life that God has called us to live, it's a, it's a, it's a considerate approach or a sympathetic approach. It's, it's recognizing that, that I'm no better than the person that I sit next to. I'm, I'm no better than that, that, that person that's in the midst of a struggle because here's what I've discovered. Are you ready? Life has ebb and flow to it. It has ebb and flow to it. And there are, there are days that I'm on top of the mountain. And man, then there are days it seems like the mountain's on top of me. There are days that I'm living my life as a champion. And then there are days that I can relate to David when David said this. I wish I could grow wings like a bird and fly away. There are times relationally that I'm doing well and there are times 
that I also feel like David. And I want to say, God, these people that claim to be me, my friends, I want you to bury them alive. Right? That's what David said in the Psalms. <laughs> my friends, bury them alive. <laughs> Done. Let them go down to the grave alive. I, I, have, I, have, those, I have those days. I am... Um, been married 31 years. On my, on my fifth wedding anniversary, I surprised my wife. Um, we were living in the St. Louis area, and I surprised her uh, and, and, and took her uh, to St. Louis, flew her to St. Louis to go, or, or to, to Chicago, rather, to go and, and made arrangements to stay at the hotel that we had stayed at on our wedding night. I'm a great husband. <laughs> Year before, completely forgot our wedding anniversary. I am crazy proud of my kids. I've got a 21-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old son. And um, I, I love who they are. I love who they've become and who they are becoming. Um, I've tried my hardest. I haven't always been the best dad. Let me say this. I've never struck my kids in anger. And I have, uh, I've worked real hard to try to keep my kids from feeling the pressure of being pastor's kids. And to, to the degree that I could, I, I think I've, I've sheltered them from that. But you know where an area where I have failed is, is this, is, I, is I've put them in the church environment where there are certain expectations. Um, and, you, and you can't talk about them. Let me tell you something about my, my, my daughter, Lauren. My daughter, Lauren, is currently dating a guy who's an agnostic. That's been a tough thing for me. And uh, I've not talked about it in church. I've not talked about it in church, not out of concern about what you think about me. But I've not talked about it in church because I know the way that many Christians would look at her. And I, I don't want that. And, and there, there, are, there are a number of you that are, you're sitting here today and, and, and you know what, your, your child married a non-believer. And that's been a tough thing for you to reconcile. And it's been a challenging thing even for you to talk about. And, and here's the reason why. Because in the church world, we don't, we don't discuss those things. And, and, and as a result, we, we don't navigate this stuff well. Because we, we can't admit our weakness. We can't acknowledge our weakness. But let me tell you something. Our children see this. And, and those who are looking at the church from the outside see this. And here's what they say. They say, wow, y'all are passionate in your worship. but you don't seem to practice what you preach. And, and, and I see something different in Galatians chapter 5. Where it says, listen, it, it's for freedom that Christ sets you free. He wants you to live in freedom. He don't, doesn't want you to live in bondage. So, 
So don't, don't, ex- don't change the bondage of sin for the bondage of religion. Don't, don't change the bondage of sin for the, the bondage of, of church. Don't, don't do that. And, and, and yes, you, you are free, but, but, but don't use that freedom to try to indulge yourself or to prop up yourself, but, but recognize because you don't have to get caught up in all this junk. You can walk in relationship with one another. Walk in honesty with one another. Walk in support with one another. Bearing one another's burdens. And, and, and in so doing, you, you fulfill the law of Christ. A scripture that's oftentimes quoted in church, and it's so often misquoted, is, is Galatians 6, 9. And Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not become weary in well-doing. There's something about being consistent. Right? Let us not become weary in well-doing. Why? Because at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Now, I have heard many, many times pastors preach on this, and they, they talk about it in relationship of Christian service. But can I tell you, that's... It's almost extra biblical. Because if you look at Galatians chapter 6, what it's talking about is this. It's talking about how we relate to one another. That living by the Spirit should impact the relationship that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? So Galatians 6 9 says this Let us not become weary in well doing. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, Keep on doing good. Keep on serving one another, especially those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians 6.10 says. God created you for relationship. He loves you and accepts you as you are. And he wants you to walk with him in, in both earnestness and honesty. But it's his expectation that our horizontal relationships, the relationships that we have with one another, that they would follow the model of our vertical relationship, okay? Our relationship between God and us. If we're not careful, what happens is this issue of conceit, envy, and provoking, it permeates our horizontal relationships so much so that it affects our relationship with God. And so instead of being honest with God about our struggles, instead of being honest with God about our difficulties, even our prayers to God are a performance. Until we get to the place of such desperation that we can't put on the facade anymore And we cry out, oh my God. How would it be, how different would it be if we took this idea of transparency and that's where we were right out of the gate. Instead of 
instead of being caught up in the image issue. So, sir, you're here and you're dealing with habitual sin. You're not alone. Mom and dad, you, you, you've got a child that is that has wandered away from the church. You're not alone. And they wandered away from a church that put such unrealistic expectations on them. And, and they finally decided, I, I don't want to live up to that image. And here's what I've discovered, that the people in the church don't accept me the people in the bar, they don't care. They're cool. They don't care if my hair is long or short. They don't care what I have pierced. They don't care if I have body art on my body. I don't think anybody's ever measured a girl's skirt in a bar to make sure that it was the appropriate length. Did you hear about Bill? He's wearing leisure suits now. Let me close with this. Around the turn of the 18th into the 19th century, there was this powerful move of God that swept through the church. And it really was the issue that brought the Pentecostal experience mainstream. Now, if you go back and you study church history, what you'll find is that you'll find this, that there's been Pentecostal expression since the day of Pentecost. But what, but what really brought it out of the shadows and into the mainstream is this revival. And it started in different spots around the world. In the U.S., it kind of started ruminating a little bit in Topeka, Kansas, and then it spread. And then it really kind of became this wildfire in about 1904 on Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And so you'll hear it talked about the Azusa revival. And that's what gave birth to modern Pentecost. And in this, people experienced God profoundly, personally, and many of them for the very first time. And here's what happened is they got really excited about Jesus in a very real way. And they, they went to their churches and they said, listen, God has done amazing things. I just got to tell you about it. And the church went, whoa, 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 we don't do that. No, 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 no. We don't talk about our feelings. We don't show any enthusiasm. No. And if you continue to do that, you got to go. And so here's what they did. They go, I, I, I can't go back to the way it was. I can't go back to this plastic pretend, um, you know, image issue. I, I, I got to be real. Okay. And so they began to find other people that had this powerful personal experience with God. And these, these Pentecostal churches were birthed. Now, some of them, it was a group of people coming together. Some of it, it was entire churches leaving the denominational, the organizational structure that they had been under and the whole church because they had experienced the power and presence of God going, it, it, we're stepping into a new thing. And it spread like crazy. Now, 
The church didn't have a whole lot. And so most of these Pentecostal churches, they were, they were in warehouses and some under brush arbors. And they, they were, most of them were on the wrong side of the tracks. Okay? Um, as a result of this, quite honestly, a lot of the people who stepped into Pentecost in the early days, there were people um, who were low-income folks. A lot, of, a lot of folks from minority neighborhoods. Uh, because this is where these churches started landing. And, and that, that influence, right, started to spread. But then it grew. And grew and grew and grew. And, and then you had churches like, like Calvary that was burst, burst, birthed in the 1950s. Right? Started on a piece of swampy land. Not quite in Winter Park, not quite in Orlando, so the land was cheap. Nobody knew that there'd be an interstate that would go right by, right by it. Well, God knew. Right? But this little church, every time it rained, the place flooded. But they just loved God. And you know what? People were going to mock us, people were going to call us names, you know? Those are the weird tongue talkers. They charm snakes, jump pews, swing from chandeliers. We don't even have any chandeliers. I've never seen a, never seen a snake on the property, and I'm good because I'm afraid of snakes. Like, really afraid of snakes. Like, even those black racers, I don't like those in my yard. I know that they don't do any damage. I don't want them in my yard. Things stay the neighbors. God, God blessed the Pentecostal church because there was something genuine and something real about it. Churches were full. We built bigger buildings. Calvary, we went from this place that flooded all the time to what's now our children's church. Man, filled that. Went from what's now our children's church to the gymnasium. Filled that, filled that over and over and over again. Packed people in line trying to get into church. So then we built buildings like this. I know there's a number of you that you were, you, you've been here since before this building was built. And I've talked to a number of you and, and, and I've been told that Something happened, something changed the first Sunday coming in here. That this church that was energetic and alive, that people, when people walked into this room, it was like, oh. And all of a sudden, Calvary went from this church where, where we were just folk. So now we, we had to be proper. <laughs> And now it was a lot about the, the image. And Calvary's not alone in that. I and mean, this happened in Pentecostal churches all across this great land of ours. That, that we went from being on the wrong side of the tracks, that God blessed so much and, and the church grew, that, that we built new buildings. And with those new buildings came mortgages. And now we can't do anything to offend anyone. Right? You know? 
Sister Susie, who dances a little bit too exuberantly, she needs to dance in the back now. Right? The person that would bring that banner, right? Put the banner in the balcony. Because we we, got to be proper. And here's what I want to tell you. I I don't want to become weird. Okay? And if you've got a 40-foot banner, worship in your backyard with that. But there's something about being genuine. Okay? There's something about being real. There's something about being able to, to honestly bear one another's burdens. There's something powerful about accepting one another. If God were to take us back to a church that has a 200-person choir, I love choirs. I don't have a problem with choir. But something I've never said before, but I will say today, I think there's a big reason why there's no longer a choir loft in this church because I think it became an idol. And I think there are a lot of things around here that became an idol. And you know what got left on the side of the road in that idolatry? It's having genuine relationship and caring for one another. Which is the core of the church. And that ability to honestly acknowledge our victories and our failures. And instead of operating in koinonia, we became a church set that competed. We competed with one another here and we competed with the church down the street. And we lost. In fact, there are some in Orlando that are still surprised that we're not closed. There are some in Orlando who think we are closed. And I'm I'm not so concerned about what people think except for this. I want people to know how resilient the love of God is and how resilient the grace of God is, how resilient the power of God is, how resilient the mercy of God is. And I love the fact that he's bringing this church back to life not as what it was, but a new thing. So, if, if, if you have 47 tattoos, you're welcome here. Okay? If you've got 26 piercings, you're welcome here. You know, the, you know the biggest reason I don't have tattoos? If you haven't already learned this about me, I'm a big sissy. Right? I saw a guy getting a tattoo last night on television. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't even. I mean, I, it hurt me to watch it.
Your life's a mess, we know. Your marriage is struggling. We should talk about that. Your relationship with your kids is not in a good place. We're here for one another. And let's let the world and let's let our children See what, see what Jesus can do. Not through our performance, but through us being honest about our struggles and then witnessing how God carries us through that.